This is New Classical Tracks from listener-supported American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for this show is to help spread the word. Take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Cellist Matt Heimovitz says that the beautiful thing about music and art in general is that even in the worst of times, somehow composers find a way to unify and bring hope to us, comfort. That's the case with the Cello Concerto by Thomas de Hartmann, a Ukrainian-born composer who wrote his Cello Concerto in the 1930s at a time of high anxiety as Jews were being persecuted in Nazi Germany. This is a work that's never been recorded before, and it's recorded now thanks to a Thomas de Hartmann project. Matt Heimovitz tells us more about that, and we hear this beautiful work. This week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media, I'm Julia Macher. Let's just dive right in now. First of all, how are you and where are you? Are you back in Canada or someplace else? I'm, I'm doing well. Um, I am actually in Texas right now. I'm in Marfa, Texas, where I've been spending a lot of time working on the Primavera Project over the last couple of years and just fell in love with this area. So we're right now, the semester is wrapped up in Montreal at McGill University and, and uh we're in beautiful southwest Texas. And that's where that beautiful art gallery is, right, that you love so much, too? The uh, There are a lot, a lot of art galleries here, and, and of course, the Chinati Foundation, which is sort of the Donald Judd uh, and his friends, the, the really extraordinary conceptual art center. I saw on Facebook that you were in Berlin just recently, and you made it back safely, but your luggage maybe didn't. Did it finally show up? <laughs> Actually, my luggage made it. I, I'm okay. It's the uh, our DJ, uh, so-called, who um, lost his luggage. So my, mine is actually... All right. I think we were all sharing each other's posts. <laughs> so it was, oh, I it was, see. It was okay, yeah, were, I gotcha. Oh, well, yeah. I tried to dig in deeper, and I'm just like, no, it looks like it was his luggage. Anyway, yeah. well, the point was you went there to record Messian's Quartet for the End of Time. Am I right about that? <laughs> uh, to perform, actually. We've, we have recorded it. Uh, we recorded it years ago, and so we were bringing back this project, Akoka, uh, from the perspective of the original clarinetist who was Jewish. We brought back that project and, and did it for the first time in Germany. It was really very moving and very special, and especially in in Boulez Cell, which is an extraordinary new hall that uh, Daniel Barnboim was very instrumental in helping to design and think about. And and it's it's a really special place. It's in the round, and the sound is extraordinary, and the lighting possibilities are extraordinary. So we got to kind of dig into Messiaen's synesthesia aspect, you know, just, just the, the, the various colors of lights, you know, through the Messiaen quartet for the end of time. It was, it was a very special concert. I was kind of struck by the fact that that piece was composed in a prisoner of war camp during World War II, and then the piece that we're going to talk about on your latest release 
also has a connection, well, at least to the buildup of World War II. And is, I was curious, is that just kind of a coincidence or is there, is this something that's just very much on your mind right now? Well, this, that was a coincidence, but the cycles of history is very much on my mind. Uh, what, what, what we're going through as a country uh, in the U.S., around the world, really. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's really kind of scary. On, on many levels and also um you know you just look back at history and you see you see some of these same recurring themes coming coming back so um so it is a particularly interesting to kind of look back at some of the music and all and the beautiful thing about music and about art is that they're even in the worst of times somehow these composers find a way to unify and also to uh to be hopeful and to offer comfort and to you know sort of offer a way out and to bring us together in a way so so um definitely it's on my mind so perhaps the programming kind of snuck in there but i mean i you know there's a lot of great music from really horrific events in in history and and uh, a lot of a lot of great art gets made that way and we sort of tap into you know, very deep levels of expression. And I think so, yeah, it's 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 a good time to look at that period. The recording we're going to talk about is of Thomas DeHartman's Cello Concerto. And this is part of the Thomas DeHartman project. Can you tell us about this project and how you became part of it? The project is just a, a few individuals who are, are really uh, advocating Thomas de Hartmann's music, it, it sort of fell through the cracks after um, he, he was very prolific and very celebrated in his time. He was friends with Kandinsky and great artists, intellectuals uh, in Russia and Ukraine at that time. But I, the way I came into it, I was just sitting around in the pandemic with a lot of concerts canceled and just received a call from Ephraim Martyr, who is spearheading or one of the figures spearheading the project. And Ephraim brought the cello concerto to my attention. I didn't know about Thomas de Harmon at all. And I certainly didn't know the cello concerto. And he sent me scores and I was intrigued. And I had time on my hands <laughs> without the concerts. And uh, so I, I agreed to take a look at it. And we planned a recording in Lviv, Ukraine in 2021, I believe. That was problematic because of the where we were at with COVID and and the vaccines. It was just not quite uh, safe enough to to do it uh, in in Lviv. So that got canceled, and then the war broke out between Ukraine and Russia a few months later. And I was driving around California, starting to play concerts again, and I was hearing about what was happening there, and I'm really horrified. And I called Ephraim back and I, I said, you know, we have to record this Ukrainian composer. We have to do it as soon as possible. And Ephraim said, well, we can't because, you know, we can't get to Ukraine right now. We can, and Russia's out. And, uh, you know, so we, we, we couldn't really figure out how to get it done, except that I had uh, some concerts in Leipzig with the radio orchestra and Dennis Russell Davies conducting. And we were supposed to record Schnitke's first cello concerto. And 
So I called Dennis Maestro Davies, who has a strong connection with St. Paul and Minneapolis and conducted, of course, the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra for years and years. And Dennis was just incredibly receptive right away. He said, let me take this to the orchestra and see what they want to do. And so he he proposed the idea of us switching out the Schnittkit for the, for the Thomas de Hartmann and the orchestra unanimously wanted to show solidarity with Ukraine and uh, change the repertoire, which is pretty unheard of for an orchestra to change the program sort of a couple of weeks before the concert. And so we, we decided to record it live in the Gavant house right there. And, and that was May, 2022. And that's how the recording got done. And as we were recording it, that's how I really got to know the piece. And, and uh, you know, just really, as we were rehearsing it, the orchestra and, and I and Dennis, we, I mean, we all just really fell in love with this music and couldn't believe that it. it hadn't been done in 70 years. And there was no recording of this of this piece, no no commercial recording available. Oh, so this is like the world so, world premiere recording then? It is the world premiere recording of the of the Tomas de Harp and Cello Concerto. And, and it couldn't have been done in more public way. I mean, great cellist Paul Tortillier premiered it. He was at that time the principal cellist of the Boston Symphony and Kusevitsky conducting. I mean, you couldn't ask for you know better premiere of a of a cello concerto. And Tortillier loved it. He played it a couple of times. And then I think the last time was in 1952, strangely in Montreal. I think that was the last public performance. So, strangely for me because I live also in Montreal and so there's sort of connections all around here but but that's it it just it just was forgotten for 70 years after that and um and now I've played it a couple of times and and hopefully we'll play it more in public you weren't familiar with this composer or this piece before making this recording so as you got to know Thomas de Hartman what did you discover about him well, I made the assumption as I was learning the concerto, I made the assumption that he was Jewish. And it turns out he was not Jewish. The reason I made the assumption that he's Jewish is that the second movement is one of the most beautiful Jewish pieces that I know. It's kind of up there with the Bruch uh, Kol Nidre, many people know, for cello and orchestra. It's very cantorial and just very authentic sounding in terms of the the general mode and feeling and tenor of the cantorial writing for cello. And and so I I just assumed that he was Jewish, but then I, I found out actually more recently that he's not he, he wasn't and so it was actually really very meaningful to know that in 1935 as a non-jew he had that kind of empathy and connection and incorporated that style of music into his piece That's one discovery. Another discovery was simply, you know, that he wrote, I think 
something like 40 film scores. So he was a prolific film composer, you know, kind of, I, I actually haven't seen the film, so I don't know, I don't know the music, but I imagine it's kind of along the lines of Korngold and that tradition of, of score writing. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that was the discovery. And just, just in general, I mean, I, you know, to me, it's like playing Prokofiev. Uh, I mean, he certainly knew the cello repertoire, so there's there's Dvorak in it and Schumann and Sassons. I mean, there's passage work that he steals from all, all of these composers, but he makes it his own. There's a lot of depth to the tradition of cello concertos and and what his place is in that in that tradition. So those are some of the discoveries that I made about him. I was listening again to the movements just before you and I started to talk and I was kind of struck by the first movement and the, what, minute and 40 seconds of big bombastic mood that he's creating. And then you come in and it's like totally different. You know, once, and I'm kind of wondering like, well, what is his intention? Is he just trying to get our attention? What's happening there in that first minute and 40 seconds? And what are you thinking about? Because what you're about to do after that, you know, is a different mood than what we're first presented with. I think how a soloist enters in a concerto is always really interesting. I mean, that, it's fascinating how composers treat it differently. I would say you're absolutely right, Julie. I think that opening in the Hartman the is kind of harks back to the Dvorak concerto where you're, maybe you're sitting for three minutes, <laughs> not just a minute and a half. I think it's maybe double. It's really fun because, you know, you're the, you are soloist, so you're really up close to the orchestra and you're hearing this tutti, uh, you're hearing the symphony. It's a symphony, really. He kind of deconstructs the anticipated form of a concerto, which is, in that first movement, you do have usually a tutti, or ritornello, and then the soloist comes in. But you don't have the cadenza until, you know, three quarters of the way through of that movement. And in this case, you right away the cello enters with a cadenza. There's no orchestra playing along with it. That's not the case in the Dvorak. The Dvorak, you are accompanied right away when you when you enter after the long symphony so yeah so the 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 thomas de Harmon is interesting because you're sort of wondering like what is going on why why is the cello playing unaccompanied right right off the bat and it sets up a very distinctive tension between the soloist and the and the orchestra in terms of uh you know i guess if you want to think of it as a metaphor you know the 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 single voice versus the, the community at large, you know, and, and, the, and sort of the crowd. The crowd has to be completely 
silent or taken away for the single voice to be heard. And then, and then things come together and, and just in a beautiful way, he, he sort of has a dance between the cello and the various instruments in the orchestra. dialogue that is very beautiful and different timbres and and counterpoint between the various instruments and so it absolutely is it becomes chamber music It's really interesting. It's so stark to, to have that, as you say, this kind of very cinematic, symphonic opening, and then suddenly they drop out, and it's just cello. How do you feel when you're playing this piece? What goes through your mind and your heart? Oh, um, I go through a trajectory. Uh, definitely, I, I follow the narrative of the of the music. I mean, the, first of all, I find it really melodically inspired along the lines of Prokofiev. I mean, it, it, he really is just a great melodist. And, and uh, so, so it's just some very beautiful, expansive writing. I mean, there's... There's tragedy and there's there's uh, a cinematic kind of aspect to the to the writing. I do think a lot about the form because it is very expansive, and I think it, you you need to it needs an integrity. It, need, it needs to be brought sort of together. You have to be careful because tempos change all the time. It's not like playing a Haydn concerto where, you know, time is constant and and uh, there's always kind of a motor underneath and, and you just stick with that and you you can be emotive, but it's you gotta be disciplined about about your time. Here, Thomas de Harmon is asking you to change tempi all the time and change moods and so I think it's up to the performers to sort of make sure that it holds together and that there's a a skeletal, you know, sort of a foundation uh, there for it. So it's it's kind of finding that balance. That, that that's I think what goes through my mind in that first movement is finding that balance of freedom versus being aware of the puzzle of how how you fit into the whole. In the second moon, it's just really very cantorial. I feel I feel like I'm praying. <laughs> I, just, I feel like I'm going going to shul, <laughs> to, to the synagogue, and and hearing a cantor and and emulating a cantor.
slow moment is definitely a lament and taps into the pathos of that of that moment of you know pre-war feeling and and where the world was headed. But I think that the third movement is really the one that kind of takes us out of that and, and really celebrates. He, he absorbs Ukrainian folk traditions and, and uses them in, in various ways in the movement. And that is very much a celebration of his nation and where he was born and, and sort of the region that he comes from, even though he was a, a man of the world, certainly a, a, a man of kind of the Soviet Union at that time. It, it meant a lot to him, I think, uh, where he came from. And, and so there is a celebration of that, those roots. I feel like I'm dancing with all the all the orchestra. It's just so much fun. It's just joyful and kind of the I guess the idea that no matter what the circumstances, we we can make music. We can we can rise above it and and be creative and take people out of the reality and and into an imagination into a different story into into something it's much much easier to enter some you know some other story and some other narrative than it is to dwell on your own issues and problems so i think that's that's you know one aspect of of sort of what he's doing with with his music in terms of just taking us on a pretty epic journey with this piece why do you think his music fell into oblivion after his death in 1956? It's hard to know, but I, I think looking at our current climate in terms of what is in, what is out, what is, you know, sort of, I, th- I think in those days it was just as divisive. And, you know, I think I think a lot of art fell through the cracks. A lot of art was cut you know lives were cut short that would have produced more art and um in this case i think i think it was just very complex between soviet between uh between world war ii you know the just reprioritizing or prioritizing um you know in wartime unfortunately the first thing to go is art and and people are just thinking survival and you know where where do they get their next meal and that and um and staying alive so i i think that had a lot to do with it but i i really it's incomprehensible to me that i mean i didn't even know that this composer existed you know, that so i you know it's it, it's kind of exciting to know that there there's more out there to be discovered and um i think that's a, a responsibility that we have you know to be advocates for for uh, for this music that is absolutely deserving of more attention and, and wider 
exposure. Okay, I have one final question. I'm thinking about your friends and colleagues in Ukraine with whom you had hoped to make this recording. Have you been able to share it with them? And if so, what's their reaction been? Oh, that's a good question. I, I, no, I have not been in touch with anybody specifically about this piece, except that I do have a friend who's the conductor of the Odessa Philharmonic, and they've invited me to join them in Ukraine in late May, early June. And we're still talking about repertoire, but I did propose to do the Tomas de Hartman on that tour. So it'll be Odessa, Kiev, Lviv, and I think one other one other city in Ukraine. So depending on the safety issues, we'll see. We'll see. I, I really would love to make that trip and, and play for them. So I don't know if it's going to be the Tomas de Hartman or possibly a different Ukrainian, but it'll be a Ukrainian composer for sure on that, on that tour. And I think that, I think it's the U.S. State Department that uh, gave the grant for them to be able to do that. So I'm really excited to make music there. I have not been to Ukraine in all these years, but I have toured with the Odessa Philharmonic in Germany and, and other places. So, so I do know the Odessa Philharmonic and it's an extraordinary history also for string playing. It's just, I mean, some of the greatest violinists ever, you know, Heifetz, Stern, you know, they all came from Odessa. And and that violin section still keeps that tradition. So it's it's a beautiful string group. So I would love to bring the Tomas to Hartman. The Ukrainian friends that I mentioned him to do recognize the, the name. They do know of him. Uh, that's heartening to hear because most people I mention him to, who who's that? I've never heard of him. The Cello Concerto by Ukrainian-born composer Thomas DeHartman, featuring cellist Matt Heimovitz with the MDR Orchestra, Dennis Russell Davies conducting. Thanks to Valerie Kaler. She's our producer for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. 